Hello, my friends, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the walls and the fences and the confines of institutional religion. This is episode number 33. It is the eighth episode of season two of the podcast, and our guest for this episode is my good friend, Brandon Wood. Brandon is the host of the popular podcast, Hey Mom, Everything's All Right, and the co-host of its sister production, Bourbon and Cigars. Brandon talks very openly and candidly, uh, both in his podcast and here in this episode, about his experience with spiritual trauma and deconstruction and how making space for people's stories is so important. Brandon is also an amazing songwriter and musician, and we will talk a bit about how his deconstruction experience is informing his own artistic process. And as a bonus, if you stick around for the whole episode, you'll get to hear the world premiere of Brandon's new song, Not My Home Anymore. Plus, we have a special surprise announcement to share with you at the end of the podcast, so stick around. And please join me in giving a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to my friend, Brandon Wood. The more time I tell my story and the more the more I hear other people's stories, there's just some magic in that of healing and clarity. And like when I hear someone's story and they say something a certain way, it gives me language. So welcome, friends, to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm really excited for you to meet our guest today. If you haven't already met him uh, through his podcast, Hey Mom, Everything's All Right, uh, I'm really happy to introduce you to my friend, Brandon Wood. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. Hey, Joe. How's it going? It's good, man. It's good. I guess like there might be some folks who know us both. Um who this is not the first go for them because I was on your podcast a couple of months ago. Right. So, yeah. I yeah. Mean, so we're, we've yeah. got a system now, man. <laughs> when you said accidental, accidental tomatoes in my head, I'm like, that's the wrong name. It's not, it's Hey Mom. <laughs> I'm so used to doing the intro and saying, Hey, welcome to Hey Mom. And the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but you, man, you've got a, you've got a custom theme and everything. You're, you're so professional with yours. Yeah. Right. We're so, <laughs> This is how professional I am. And I had Jenny Williams on last, Reverend Jenny Williams. And uh, who was also an accidental tomatoes guest. Yeah, exactly. And good friend of both of ours. Um, I recorded that six months ago. <laughs> and so it was like, like height of pandemic, not height of pandemic, but like beginning of pandemic. And that's how high tech I am. I record an interview and then it eventually comes out, maybe in the same year. <laughs> yeah. I, f- I feel you. I feel you. It, I run about a five to six week window between the time we do an interview and the time it actually airs. Um, if that means anything to anybody that's out there listening, but I'm really, I'm really excited. We can have this conversation. We've been talking about it for a while and uh, it, I had so much fun uh, when we did your podcast together, like say a few months ago. And um, I just think that, um, that I think the listeners are going to want to hear a little bit more of your story. You know, we, we talked a lot about me, which is obviously my favorite subject, you know, so that that's why it was so much fun. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, get, tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what you do and, and kind of how your podcast came to be and, and what it's all about for the listeners. Yeah. So, um, I was in the, the throes of deconstruction and didn't really realize 
that that was a thing, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess like, and not to go too too nerdy, but uh, a mutual friend of ours, um, Emily, um, his last name Davies now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm gonna you had on her your podcast uh, about talking about Fowler's system. Um, I'm gonna have I'd actually interview her for mine, but you know when you're leaving stage three, when everything is planned out for you and your truths are laid out for you it's very black and white and obviously you don't have the language for stage three like to call it stage three you just think and and even i grew up evangelical so you think you're backsliding or you think you know like i always make the joke brandon at 15 or 16 would be very upset with brandon at 35 (laughs) Um, and then Brandon 35 would console him and then tell him how he was wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, then they would, and just, just to clarify for a second, for anybody that maybe didn't catch Emily's episode with us, when we're talking about um, stage three, um, this, this guy Fowler uh, came up with these kind of stages of spiritual development. Right. And, and stage three is the one where a lot of folks, especially people that come from evangelical traditions, but not exclusively that kind of get stuck in their faith development. And, and it's a lot of times when we talk about deconstruction, if you look at things in terms of Fowler's kind of hierarchical way of thinking of things like deconstruction happens when you leave stage three and enter, you know, what he would call stage four, which is kind of that period of doubt. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that's where I was and I, I, you know, thought I was going crazy at times, thought I felt very alone. Um, Then you find out there's this whole, there's a whole, community of people that are going through it and you're like, I'm not alone. This is awesome. But anyway, so we were at, um, I was at a church that I eventually, it was the last church I was a part of. And I eventually became the next gen pastor, which is over kids and youth. And after church, we were out to eat with our, our friend group and uh, my buddy, good friend, Jeremy Batten, which is on the, on my podcast, <clears throat> we do bourbon and cigars together. And then we obviously do other stuff on that. Um, which, which we, is which we, is not just a fun thing to do together, but also yeah, kind yeah. of a sub subgroup of your podcast or yeah, an outgrowth yeah. of your podcast. Yeah, we need to have you on that. Um, I can't wait. I we, cannot wait to do. We've been that. talking about ways to do it with the pandemic. You know, we, him and I both have enough audio equipment that we could run, you know, a twenty foot cable and and see each other. And now it's just that it's winter time. We can't sit outside. But um, anyway, so we were sitting at uh, we were eating um, Mexican and. Uh, a uh, big group of us and him and I were talking and I, and I said, uh, I think I should write a book. It was just like that. Like, what if I wrote a book about deconstruction? Um, like, and I, and my idea was like, I'm going to start taking notes now and then I'll put it out like in three years when I'm what done with this stage or whatever. And he was like, dude, you should do a podcast and start it now. And it'd be messy. And like, then you will like the, the hearer and you will get to go back and listen to your journey. And so that's kind of like the, the start of it. Um, and I, I touted it. Hey mom, everything's all right. Cause I am proud to say I'm a mama's boy. <laughs> and uh, so many times in my life, um, uh, you know, I, I went to California for a semester of school you know, she would always call and check up. I'd be like, Hey mom, every, you know, everything's all right. Like it kind of became like a, <laughs> Or, um, you know, when I got married or we had kids um, or, you know, talked about moving away or changed jobs. It was always like, mom, it's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> now as a parent, I completely understand because there's nights I wake up and I'm like, 
one day Nelpy's going to, my daughter Penelope's going to drive. What? You know, like, so I get the anxiety that she had, you know, but I'm like, mom, everything's all right. Um, so that's why I titled it. But yeah, so that was the the origins of the podcast. And really what happened was I grew up evangelical. Um, and I, you know, you always joke when you say, hey, tell us your your story and people start at birth. Um, but, <laughs> you know, but mine, my family came of faith. I think I was eight years old and we came of faith. And this is why, to me, it's important because it sets the trajectory of uh, it was a even evangelism event called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And um, I don't know if it's still in operation. I, I pray to God it's not in operation. <laughs> but um, the premise of it is it's a traveling company and they travel to churches and um, then they get volunteers in that church to put on the play. And then like, you know, you take three days to learn this lines, <clears throat> work it, and then you invite all your friends and family. And the whole principle or premise of the play is um, you have like 10 scenarios that happen. Like I, I eventually was in it and I was me and my stage dad were driving in a car and got in an accident. And then like we so we all died. And then he and I woke up first and then we see heaven, but then we're dragged to hell because we weren't believers. Right. It's so it's a scare tactic. Um, and that's the whole premise. Like, you know, it goes different, different scenarios. They wake up and they either go into heaven and there's angels there and it's bright lights and Jesus comes out and people are rejoicing or it turns dark and the demons come out. And so like, I remember as a kid, like that scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Are, are we allowed to cuss on your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't do it a lot, but sometimes it's just like, sometimes there's a word that captures a feeling better than any other words. It is better than crap. It scared the shit out of me. as a <laughs> And I, I remember like, I mean, obviously as a kid and you know, this is why I pray to God, it's no longer operational. It's like, good and bad is so black and white. And at that moment it was like, okay, well, if God's good, um, then I want to be on his side. Like, I don't want to go, I don't want to be on the other side and be dragged by those demons. Um, so that started my, my faith trajectory. Like that's, um, we, we did a sinner's prayer, like, uh, good evangelicals do and, and, um, started, started in the church. Um, and so my whole, my whole development was just fear, right? Like, um, I was the good Christian boy. I was the good soldier, uh, the loyal soldier. Um, and anything that, you know, like when it came to sin or it came to the living right or whatever, it was always just, my motivation was never, I want to do right. Cause I want to do right. Or I want to do right. Cause I love God. It was always, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like that started cracking a little bit and I always, as I got older and, um, you know, but I, but I did live a little bit of a double life, you know, as a, pubescent teenager, you know, like in evangelicalism, sex sins are like top sins, you know? And, uh, I was also, so I, I grew up in a church and felt very called to ministry and had, uh, in the evangelical Pentecostal system, there's prophecy or words of wisdom. And I had many people prophesy over me that I was called to full-time ministry. And so I was very, obviously I was very impressionable. And so, uh, and also church was like a second home to me. Like, um, my family life wasn't the best. We, obviously we had a lot better than, than others, but, um, there was always, you know, mom and dad fighting. Um, <clears throat> there was just dysfunction. You know, we weren't, we weren't a healthy unit. Now we've all kind of, as we've aged and matured, like we're, our system, our family system is, is pretty cool now. Um, but at that point it wasn't. So church to me was a second home and I was there 
every time. Like I was there Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, any other time. Um, when And so I started uh, my family's musical. So I started leading worship uh, for the youth group. And then for the kids to, uh, church, I led worship. I was on the, the skit team. And then we had a, a, a teen center called The Factory, which was popping. It was awesome. And um, it was like, I think it was Friday night or I think Friday night. And everyone from the community of that age group would come. And it was just like basketball, soccer, arcade games, DJ, you know, music playing. And then we would take, we'd call it the break. And it was like 10 minutes. And we would do one song, uh, one skit, uh, a quick, like a two minute message, um, like an action. And then it was over and then back to the fun. And so I was on the staff of that uh, volunteer staff. And I was also when she became the house band leader and we played music there and stuff. It was just a cool thing. Um, so like that was my, my life. Um, I went through a, a time when I left that church family was going through some, some stuff and we went, uh, they went to a different church and I followed. Um, and that's where like, I think where my deconstruction, obviously the, the fear tactics and stuff, but then I went to this church was full bore in it again, you know, like loyal soldier, good Christian boy. Um, went to Bible college, uh, came back to intern that church. I did, obviously I went to, in California, went to Bible college. So I surfed, skipped a uh, biblical <laughs> course and I, and I surfed, um, and came back to intern. Cause I, I, I just did, I had a hard time sitting and just learning and not doing. Um, and at that point, like there's a stat, someone said in one of our classes that, you know, after four year Bible college, you only are in the ministry four years and you're out. Like that was like a, 75% of Bible college. Oh, wow. And I don't, and I don't know, like I've tried to search for that, that, that stat. So I don't know if that was evangelical or if that was like that denomination, or if that was just a Bible college in general. Um, you know, that what they weren't talking about, uh, math, um, um, divs. They were talking about just four year Bible college. Right. So like, I remember sitting in class looking around, like, does this not affect anyone else? Like it affects me. Like, like this is us they're talking about. So I left, um, and I went, came back and, and interned at the church. We started an intern program and we did everything, you know, but again, still leading worship, um, starting to preach at that point. Um, my soon to be wife was also in California and she stayed for another semester. And then she came back to intern and her and I were friends, um, for many, many years. Um, so while we were, at, while we were interning and stuff, we, we fell in love and did all that <laughs> stuff, got married. And um, her and I both kind of started really questioning a lot of stuff. Um, gay, um, homosexual rights was a big, a big thing for us. Um, and mainly because like we learned that if for some reason Anna's parent, my wife's name's Anna, by the way, if Anna's parents didn't like me and we weren't allowed to get married and I was in the hospital, um, she had no right to come and see me. And that, that kind of like broke our hearts. Like, you know, we were still in this, this camp that, you know, we believe the Bible literally um, very black and white, but we said, we're going to put that on a shelf because we don't give a crap right now. Like this is just wrong. Um, and that kind of, that was one of the biggest <clears throat> crackings, what I call it of our, of our faith. Um, we, uh, and then the, well, the biggest one, which I always joke about was um, watching Harry Potter for the first time. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, uh, the funny story we, we were in our, our apartment, and if you don't, if you don't know the backstory, like 
in the evangelical Pentecostal world, uh, we were always banning books or banning movies. And it's so funny to me now because like, I, sorry, here's a side story. I'll come back to that. I, and I told my buddy this the other day, he's like, dude, that's messed up. I'm like, I know, but this, this is the picture of it to me is the, even uh, that, that world is so, and, it, and this is why I think like sexual sins are top sins because usually the person that's preaching the hardest against it is the one who's struggling the most with it. Right. Yeah. And um, then you see like all these pastors that come out, they're so against homosexuality and then they come out with homosexual tendencies and it's like, it breaks a church apart and everything crumbles. Right. Well, I remember being on a missions trip with a pastor who eventually fell into sexual immorality. Um, AKA had an affair. Right. That That's a very evangelical. Yeah, I know. Pete Holmes always says he's got some religion click clacking in his brain. And there's, <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say terms. I'm like, Oh no. Ah, you know, um, so he, he had an affair, but, before the either the affair was happening, I don't know the timeline, or I think the affair was happening. He actually drove us. Me, it was me, another guy, maybe two other guys, and him. We were like doing a side mission to get connected. Like we had to go get an air, do an errand, and then connect with the group. We were in New Orleans. <clears throat> he drove us on purpose. Like we detoured to go by the the motel where. Um, it was Jim Baker and who was the other big? Oh man, I don't remember. Yeah, I know it what you're talking Jim about. Baker, but it was the other one. Um, it's gonna bug me that I forget the name. Where he was caught in second and having an affair. When I think it was a prostitute, right? And it took me years later to look back and be like, that was messed up. Wow, and that's that. That's that. Like world, right? That's that. Um, you know, that we ban all this stuff, but then secretly they're doing it. And so um, uh, we were, so Harry Potter, you know, witchcraft, you have nothing to do with witchcraft, but somehow Chronicles of Narnia are okay. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyways, um, so we were like anti Harry Potter. Um, I'm probably even to our youth spoke messages about it, which when I think I can't think back about stuff that I said, because that. Oh, I feel you. Kills yeah. me. Um, I look back on things that I taught in youth group you know, 10 yeah. years ago and they, those poor kids, man, I, you know, we were always kind of rebellious cause we didn't stick to hard lines, <laughs> um, but there, there was still some like that. I'm sure I probably, I don't know. Um, my favorite, sorry, this is another side. My favorite thing I ever did as a youth pastor that I got a lot of heat for was I had this, this teenage girl that was really upset be- and this is crazy to me, but it's also her family dynamic and her as a person. Um, would get madly depressed if she didn't wake up and read her Bible before she went to school and like really sad, depressed and all stuff. And she was talking to Anna and I, I was like, all right, I challenge you for a week. Don't read your Bible. <laughs> like wake up, say hello to God and that be enough. And I got so much heat for that. <laughs> um, anyways, so there, there, I, there is so, like, I want to dive into that rabbit hole and we can't, <laughs> but that's well, but because that, it's such good advice. Yeah. But in that context, it's like the most dangerous thing you could say. Right. Yeah. And it's all motive. Like, are you reading your Bible because you need to please God? Well then throw your Bible out because that's the wrong motive. Um, same thing for me. Like, am I, am I living my life for God because I'm so afraid? That's the wrong motive. Exactly. Throw yeah. it out. Um, 
I know I'm detouring all over the place, but I'll eventually get back to Harry Potter. But I remember in the throes of deconstruction, um, this might be a little overshare. I have some of the best moments while using the toilet. <laughs> the best spiritual <laughs> moments. Also, I write the best songs. There is a guitar near all of our restrooms in our house because, sorry, that's way oversharing. You can cut that <laughs> But I remember. I need a TMI button. You know, in the- <laughs> I, I, and I think for me, it's like having that, like, you know, you turn the fan on. And also, I find this in the car, too. Like when you just have the road noise and you don't have music on, there's something, at least for me, my brain, having that white noise in the background, it like lets me escape into this higher thinking. And um, I remember sitting and I was just pondering and it finally hit me like after years and years of, of quote unquote serving God, um, all of it was because I was afraid to go to hell. Mm. And I would even preach messages about, you know, your motive has to be because you love God and not because anything else. And like it all, like it was like this, this like uh, tornado. I don't know. This thing just hit all of a sudden. And I just started like weeping because it was like, man, everything I sought out not to do is the essence of, of my walk with Christ. Or, you know, again, that's another evangelical term, but my, my faith. So, um, it, but that's, that's that world you live in. Um, everything you're doing is to please someone else or, or to please God. And it's never, um, the motives are always jacked up. So like, again, going to Harry Potter, we, um, we boycotted it, you know, want nothing to do with it. How dare they uh, glorify witchcraft, you know, all that stuff. And, um, and then one day, uh, so this was years. Cause I think, I think they're on the fourth or fifth movie. So it was to the point where the first movie was on reruns on, on cable. Oh, that even sounds old cable. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I was in the living room. It was a Sunday night. I was in the living room because I was watching football. Anna was in the bedroom because she wanted to watch some, I think probably a cooking show at that point. She used to watch TLC like religiously. Um, and uh, I uh, was flipping and I, I was flipping the channel as a commercial and Harry Potter, like I landed on Harry Potter and I was like, crap. I, and I got hooked. It was like one second and I got hooked. And so I did that thing where I had to turn the volume down because if Anna started flipping and her TV lined up to the, the channel that I was on, I would get caught. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Again, you, you live in this world where you have to hide crap. Um, and so I, I'm like, I can't get caught. You know, like my wife's going to divorce me if she finds out I'm watching here. You know, for most people, that story revolves around porn and not yeah. Harry Potter. <laughs> this was a different kind of Harry Potter we watched. <laughs> uh, and so you're right. And so we, uh, we uh, um, eventually, after like three or four rounds of this, where like she would get up and go to the bathroom and I would quickly change the channel and all that stuff. Because um, where, where she would walk, she would be able to see the TV that I was watching. So eventually I was on it. I was on this, on it. I was like, apparently I was zoned out and hooked and she yelled in finally from the bedroom. Hey, what are you watching? I was like, Oh, this is like the first, <laughs> I don't know. It was maybe three or four years in the marriage. I was like, this is the first time where I had to lie to my wife. You know, do I, it was like this, like this moment that, that was frozen in time. Like, do I lie to her or do I tell her? And then I probably have to get, you know, counseling at church or you know, all this stuff. 
I was like, I'm watching Harry Potter. I chose not to lie. I'm like, I'm watching Harry Potter. And she yelled in, me too. And she ran in <laughs> the couch, onto the couch. And we cranked that mother up and we watched it. And at the end, we were like, what the heck? There was nothing they said that was in there that like, it was all about love and friendship and good over bad. And, you know, w- the wizarding had to be like the, the platform the story was in, but like, it didn't glorify it. And um, so that was like a big cracking for us. And like a lot of our faith started kind of revolved around, well, if, if that wasn't true, then what else isn't true? And uh, so we, we eventually left that church to, uh, and, and at that church, we went through a lot of spiritual abuse, um, control, manipulation, um, carrots dangled over our, our faces to do stuff. And then we would do it. And then we wouldn't be like, you know, like we were uh, uh, talking to a lady she was um, supposed to be licensed and they made her do all these things. She did all the things. And when she got done with them, they're like, no, you're not, we're not going to license you. And that was kind of our story. Like um, we got in this weird theology where only they, the pastors could release our, I hate quote unquote, spiritual destiny. Ugh, it sounds so gross, but like we were going to move and, and go take a, you know, start applying for other youth pastor positions because West Virginia for us was never our home. Like, or I mean, it was our home, but we wanted to move out and, do that before we had kids. And they said, no, God's not telling us that, you know, it's on us yeah, because yeah. we should have said F you we're doing it anyways. Um, but that was the world again, when you don't want to go to hell and you don't want to stand before God and you say, how come you didn't listen to your pastor? Like that was the theology taught to us. And so we just kind of shut our brains off and we're good, loyal Christian soldiers. Um, so eventually we started waking up again, the Harry Potter was one and there was a bunch of other stuff that happened. Um, homosexual rights was a big one for us. We left that church under the guise of starting our own home church. Um, that happened for like a year and a half. And we realized we're just, we're done. Like we need a break. And then I started getting the itch. I wanted to play music again. So I started playing for a church and then that quickly morphed into wanting more. And so I started leading worship at that church and that morphed into taking a position in a different church as the next gen pastor. And then, uh, then now we're just like, there was some good stuff that happened at last church. There was some bad stuff. And now I'm just to the point where I want nothing to do with organized religion, Yeah. but there's this itch in me that still wants to talk about faith on different terms, right? Different language of faith, but also there's something about the more time, like, and I, and I text you this, like the more time I tell my story and the more, the more I hear other people's stories, there's just some magic in that of healing and clarity. And like when I hear someone's story and they say something a certain way, it gives me language for my own journey. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's like, that's so powerful. Um, like my, one of my, I had a guy on that was actually a youth, not in my youth ministry, but at, uh, uh was at a youth, youth camps is in our district. So we, we would see each other for winter and, and summer camps. And he shared, um, something really powerful. He said, I was there, but I was checked out. And I would have never said that. Right. But like yeah. that gave me language for my journey, like the last five years of being in that one church, I was there, but I was checked out. I was like, Oh man, thank you for that. Like this hour and a half conversation was good enough, but that was just icing on the cake. Yeah. You and I are both external processors too. I think sometimes it's getting the thoughts out of your head and into a conversation that helps you kind of process the ideas for sure. I mean, there's so much in what you just said, um, as I was listening to your story and I, I just like, 
I can almost hear all of our listeners who have come through that kind of evangelical, especially not, not exclusively that, but, but through that kind of experience into some kind of deconstruction, just like nodding their heads. Like you can almost, (laughs) you can almost hear or, or sense that like, yep, yep, yep. There's so much of your story that I've heard echoed, you know, not, not in the specific like events, but like in the general kind of sense of how things are that I hear echoed all the time from you know like the folks that we we've kind of started to refer to as spiritual exiles right that um and you know so much of it is rooted in those fear-based narratives um and 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 the control narratives that go along with that i I don't know that you can separate those two things right i think think that, that idea of of driving a narrative based in fear comes from this deep desire for control yeah um and, and to be honest like I don't think that's necessarily a, of evil intent. It, it it might be it might be lazy like if if you kind of look at it in terms of spiritual growth and spiritual development like you get to that point where I just don't want to grow anymore um and so control then becomes the predominant like driving force you know to to just keep things where they are where I feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. Um and I think a lot of times people really don't realize the kind of damage they're doing uh, to other people when they impose yeah. that control, especially through those fear narratives. Well, and, and our, our good friend, Richard Rohr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and me and Richie, we're, we're, we're tight, man. We're like this. Yeah. We are. Oh, I'm always, it always cracks me up when um, Pete Holmes always refers to Richard Rohr as Richie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My buddy Richie. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, you, you would, between the two of us would be the more astute uh, Richieite. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and I, the reason why I remember this is because I, I, it kind of pissed me off. Um, be, and that was because I was in deconstruction and I, and I wanted nothing to do with how I came to be and as regards to faith. But doesn't he talk about like, you need law and order at the early stage of development. Yeah, yeah. But you can't stay there. Exactly. And, but for me, that was it. And then I think, so like I've had those moments where when I became a pastor um, or I just did some external thinking and I'm like, you know what? Like if, if my salary now um, different denominations are different, but the one I grew up in salary all came from your tithe base, which means the people in your church that gave money. So if my sal, my livelihood me feeding my family comes from that. I don't see how you would not operate in fear and control. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving the pastors that jacked us up a free pass. Um, but I am starting to see that, I mean, they were controlled too. Like it was the, the, the abused or, you know, the abuser was more likely the abused. And, um, they have to own their crap because they're still spreading horrible theology and stuff. But like, and that was kind of one reason that was another thing why I didn't, I wanted nothing to do with organized religion. Like um, I kind of am gravitated to the, the denominations or the, the faith systems that take care of their pastors, because if I'm not worried about feeding my family, then I can really do ministry. Um, but if I'm worried about like, like for instance, sending me and Anna off now they've lost worship leaders They've lost youth leaders. They've lost 
we didn't make much money because we we're at the church, but we made we started the tithe, so like a small tithe base, right? Um, we they lost the the sexiness of having the the young couple there. You know what I mean? Like right, right, like, right. Yeah. Like when I put myself in their shoes, yeah. I mean the fear the fear the fear narrative makes sense. You know, like I but I like I said like you said I think it's lazy because I think if you can get people to uh, follow you and volunteer and serve out of love, you get, you get it goes a long more way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even like you take it to faith. If I am doing stuff out of love, that goes a long more way than, than fear, uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that Richard Rohr um, continuum that he talks about of like order, disorder and reorder, um, you know, and to me, it mirrors that, you know, you start in a place of order, you know, um, and where most of us start out, um, that, that everything is kind of fed to you and you just kind of accept it and, and it makes sense and it gives you a foundation, which is healthy, right? The foundation itself is healthy. Um, but, but if you don't leave that and go through some kind of a disorder mm-hmm. phase, you never get to like ultimately that kind of that way of life where love kind of controls thing rather than, than the fear and control narrative. And, and so I, I keep coming back like that disorder phase. And, and I think we would translate that as deconstruction, right? If we, in, in the context that we're talking in for our podcasts, um, that, that it, it, to me, it's absolutely necessary in terms of faith development that you go through deconstruction. Yeah. If you've never been through some kind of deconstruction, you, you're not, you're not going to grow out of that, that tightly ordered phase. And, and again, it's not all bad. It's not, you know, it's not e- of evil intent or anything. It's just, it's an immaturity in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And Roar talks a lot about like first half of life, second half mm-hmm. of life kind yeah. of stuff. And you have to, you know, the, the, the writings from Paul, you know, that talk about you, you should be, you should be eating meat by now and solid food and you're still nursing on milk. Right. So many of our folks in our churches are so satisfied with that milk based diet because it's easy. It's safe. It's comfortable. It doesn't challenge you. And I get why people don't want to go through deconstruction. Like the way you described it, you know um, it's, it's painful, man. And it, it can suck to be in the middle of it. I can remember, in the, in the early phases of, of what I call my first wave of deconstruction, you know, I was reading Brian McLaren and which was opening my eyes to a lot of things that I knew were wrong with what the, the tradition I'd been handed. Um, man, I lost sleep at night you know, because I'm laying there thinking all of this stuff that I've kind of based my worldview on. A lot of it's just not true. It's just not right. And it makes sense that it's not true and it's not right. But what does that mean for like how I arrange my life now? Right. Because like, you know, you use the word trajectory a couple of times, man, you get knocked off your trajectory. What the hell are you going to do? Right. Well, and so I, um, I was talking to a friend uh, actually just the other day and no one, every time I would share this with somebody, they would always, you know, uh, hack it down and be like, oh, no, no, no. no. And this one person, uh, probably because they're similar to me, finally understood it and, 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 and walked it themselves. But the struggle, one of the biggest struggles for me in deconstruction was I just wasted 20 years of my life. Yeah. 
And people would say, oh, no, you learned something. You you're better for it. You wouldn't be who you are. And yes, 100 percent. Right. Um, I know we'll get into this later, but I started writing a psalm and uh, out of nowhere, the chorus came. I wouldn't be who I am. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't write that yet. Like, I'm not there yet. Eventually, I'll get to the point where I'll see the roses on the other side and be like, oh, I couldn't have got to the roses if it wasn't for walking through the horse crap. Okay, cool. I'm not there yet. Um, I'm still in the phase like I being the good loyal soldier. I mean, I did everything they said. Right. Um, Every stupid book I had to read every uh, we had prayer sessions I had to go through. And it's like I wasted years like again, trajectory like where would I be if I would have followed my gut and left and, um, you know, moved or did something different with my life? You know, like that's, that was the hardest for me. And I think I'm towards the end of it, but thinking about, you know, cause I'm not in ministry now. So my undergrad degree, I have the degree that that's cool, but it's all in biblical theology. Right. So like, <laughs> I'm not going to go to an IT company and be like, Hey, <laughs> you know, like, um, I'm, I'm limited. Hire me to pray over your circuit yeah. boards. <laughs> I'm limited on, 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 on that. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to take just a minute to thank some of the folks that help us make the Accidental Tomatoes podcast happen through our Patreon giving platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can be part of a growing group of people who are committed to helping create and curate all the great content for the Accidental Tomatoes community. We're grateful for the contributions of all of our patrons, and I'd like to recognize our master gardener-level contributors, Jen and Harry Morgan, and Kevin and Heather Malcolm. To learn more about how you can support this podcast and the community we're creating, just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes. You can also support our work by simply leaving us a rating and review on your favorite streaming app. That helps other folks find our community and participate in the conversation. And now... Back to the podcast. To me, deconstruction, I mean, I part of it, I don't, I like it now. I mean, I like it in general. I think it's become too much of a sexy word. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think it's too cool now to go through deconstruction. I agree that everyone needs to go through it, but it is scary. Um, we're in this, like, I guess it would be a second or third phase. Cause when I got the job at the church, I was tracking with a retired United Methodist uh, minister and we'd go to Bob Evans and have breakfast once a week, uh, pre COVID, um, phenomenal guy. I, I love the guy. I also love karate kid. And I saw, so I call him my Mr. Miyagi nice. <laughs> and I told him that, and he's not, you know, he, he's a white dude. <laughs> I'm like, Mr. Miyagi. um, and it was the first person in my life. Well, he was one of the first pastors that was able to reconcile um, homosexual rights and theology. And so when I when I found that out, I, I was like, I got to take that guy to coffee, buy him breakfast or whatever. And that kind of morphed into a relationship. But um, he would he would suggest stuff. He would never tell me what to do. And that first pissed me off. I'm like, no, tell me what to do. You know, and he would. Yeah. You know, it was the first person that ever did that to let me start thinking myself. Um, and then we would, we would, I would go and be like, all right, today I want to talk about, uh, original sin. <laughs> and then like five <laughs> hours later, you know, like we were, became this, they kept, you know, they knew when we showed up, they already knew our order and they knew they 
just keep on bringing the coffee. <laughs> um, but so when I got the job at the church, I was, I was still in the mentality. Like I thought I was deconstructed and I was in some regards, but I was in that mentality of, I still have to get back to my calling. I still have to get back to ministry. Right. And so I, and like, and, and I'm not enough if I don't have ministry, like that's my identity and I don't have yeah, it. Yeah. So who am I? I need to go, I need to go and get a, a, a job, a leadership role and have it. So, so I got it right. I mean, and it was great. Like I, I have, I have no qualms. Um, but then in the middle of it, while I'm still tracking with this guy, I'm starting to go like to crazy stuff. Like, do I even believe in a, a physical resurrection? Do I believe in the atonement of sins? Like, like pillars of like, not just homosexual rights, even though that's important enough, but like pillars of how I was raised. Um, like, you know, do I believe I have to say a prayer to be saved? Do I believe there's a heaven? Do I believe there's a hell? Like all these things started crumbling. And now I'm in the middle of a job and it was part-time um, while I have a full-time job elsewhere. But like, how do I preach to kids? How do I preach to youth? And, and, and I, and I, I, I hope if, if I was ever questioned, uh, my previous employer would, uh, pastor slash boss would step up and say, you know, he did it the best he could because I would call him and be like, Hey, I can't preach this like this. I can't do it. And he would say, okay, no worries. Just, just, just change subjects. You know, like he, he helped me when I was like, I can't, you know, I can't, but what I, what I eventually did is I just kind of stuck to the UMC. It was a UMC church. So I stuck to the UMC um, belief systems. And, and if it really was hardcore against my beliefs and then I just wouldn't touch it. Um, and there were a lot of times, but there were a lot of times where I'm speaking and inside I'm like, I don't believe any of this or do I, do I believe any of this? And I'm speaking like as absolute, you know, this is it. And in my head, I'm like, and so it, I don't think you can do that for a long time without crashing. Yeah. And yeah. we had some other stuff in our life that happened and we can get into that later when we're talking about music, but um, eventually came to the point where we had a meeting that um, it wasn't the best meeting. And I remember leaving it saying, why am I so upset and stressed out and annoyed? And then I finally realized I don't need this anymore. And then the meeting became an annoyance. You know what I mean? Like mm, before yeah. I would have that stress and be like, but it's my calling and it's my passion and you got to have that, you know? And then it was when it was like, I don't need ministry anymore. Then it became, well, then why am I adding that drama to my life? And then that, you know, yeah. but, but so like, anyways, that was a long bunny show of going about um, deconstruction is scary because it's not only like you lose friends you lose a, potentially a faith community. Um, you know, you get people really mad at you. Um, I've heard stories. I haven't, no one's directly confronted me, but I've heard stories of people in my past that were in, are in the faith system that are really upset with what my wife and I are sharing in regards to deconstruction and how that church jacked us up. You know what I mean? It's, and then, and then the worst part is you feel all alone. Yeah. Uh, and then you find out there's a podcast called Accidental Tomatoes, <laughs> Spiritual Exiles. There's a podcast called Hey Mom, Everything's All Right. There's podcasts um, out there on the interwebs. There's preachers. There's thinkers. There's there's a whole world of people 
that are no longer in stage three development and they're moving forward and you're like, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. And then it gets 10 times better. But to get to that is very scary, very painful. um, And it's not fun. Yeah. A a couple of things you said just sparked some thoughts and I'm I'm not sure if I can organize it all real well, but (laughs) um, one of the things that in what you just finished saying kind of made me think about, you know, we talked about that, like Fowler's stage three, stage four, and people going through that as individuals. I wonder if, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud as I say this, I wonder if part of what we're starting to witness with podcasts like ours and the liturgists and Bible for normal people, a lot of those other, you know, people that that have way bigger audiences than you and I do that are, that are kind of plowing some ground in this, but are, um, there's some momentum there. And I wonder if maybe we're not in more of a cultural way starting to develop through those phases. I don't know if you can draw like direct correlations to Fowler, but, um, but it feels like there's this momentum that's starting to grow where we, we do realize that we're not alone in this experience. And not only do we realize that we're not alone, but, but we're starting to see like some community forming around how we grow into these, whatever comes next together kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So I just think that's kind of interesting. And it, and it really, it really kind of echoes a lot of, I've, I've talked before about um, Phyllis Tickle's book, uh, The Great Emergence, where she talks about like these, every 500 years, there's this rummage sale, you know, where the church kind of reinvents itself. And and we're there, right? We're historically, we're, we're 500 years from the Reformation. And if you, if you kind of follow those models, the church is due for some kind of major kind of sea change. And I think a lot of us have been feeling for a while, like that's happening. We just don't know what's happening. Yeah. Um, we know something's happening. So, so that, yeah, kind of progressing through that. And I, and I don't mean to, to doubt, like, I think too, and to echo and to agree with you, I think the millennials, and I guess I'm technically like in between millennial and, uh, uh, whatever the stage is be- between millennial and baby boomers at Gen X. Gen X. Yeah. Um, cause I still prefer paper and pen, but I also love FaceTime and an iPhone and you know, all that stuff. Yeah. 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 So like I'm, I'm at odds with myself <laughs> technology wise, but I think, I think culturally too. And in the, in faith system, that generation is just fed up with come to church every Sunday, hear how you're a sinner get mesmerized by the light show this really good um message and then go home and we're starting to wake up and say i want to do more yeah if there's a lot of wrong in this world i want to get up and i want to help it and i think culturally we're going that way and i i really believe the church is is in in that group is 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 a a big proponent in why deconstruction has become a sexy word you know what i mean like like it's cool to talk it before uh, you would talk about it. You were like, oh, you're crazy. Like when we started calling calling it spiritual abuse, you know, it felt bad because I never want to elevate that to someone who was sexually abused or physically abused. Right, right, right. Awful. Um, saying that the spiritual abuse is the same mental torture as those. And uh, once we were able to name that and we started reading some books and they were naming it too, and we were okay to name that, like, then it became, you know, okay, now you say spiritual abuse or deconstruction or whatever, they're okay to say, right? If you say it, you're not deemed as someone who's, right. you know what I mean? And so yeah. I, 
I think it's really cool because I've had some friends that are in that same boat. They're like Black Lives Matter, right? But why after the big riots, my church didn't talk about it that Sunday? Like it happened on Friday. Why are we still following the, the sermon series and not even nothing's mentioned? Why are we not taking money? You know, like it's like this, 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 this discontent. Like, I don't care what I was taught. I'm going to put that on the shelf. I want to go do good in the world. That's that thing happening that I think is really pushing this ball forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I, at the risk of going down another rabbit trail, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's going to be a fighter. <laughs> yeah. To kind of, to kind of, um, you know, another sort of phrase that's, that was really, you know, kind of a popular buzzword for a while, but it's kind of fallen out of favor, but really describes um, kind of the, the philosophical trends and all this is it's, it's all the result of the postmodern movement. Right. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, we, that was a really popular thing to say, you know, five or 10 years ago, you know, postmodernism, this and that. And, and now nobody talks about it anymore, but you know, it, it's, it's a historical philosophical cultural movement um, that, that began to distrust institutions that began to distrust, you know, what we would call meta narratives, like the big stories that were, told and fed and begins to question what truth itself has been defined as, you know, all of that. It all, it all grows out of those philosophical movements. Yeah. Right. That, um, and and I think when we're talking about deconstruction, like it's a reflection of, uh, I I don't trust this institution anymore. I don't trust this narrative anymore. And it's because I am now beginning to get this language, right. You talk about like spiritual abuse, those kinds of things when we can name things, right. One of the, one of the tenets of postmodernism is that language is power. Yeah. And when we can begin to develop language for things that reflect what's actually happening in our lives, which is what truth really is, you know, then, then we can start to define what are these common experiences we're having, right? Because now we have the language for it. And, and that's what then creates movements. Unfortunately, movements almost always grow into institutions and then institutions cave in on themselves. It's just sort of the cycle of things. But has there been uh has someone ever called their church the church of deconstruction? <laughs> I don't know. I I mean I might be new wineskins are my faith community might be close to that. Um <laughs> I, I don't think we would call it that exactly, but we certainly are, you know, sort of a gathering place for spiritual exiles for sure. Yeah. Most of the folks though, it's funny because I've been doing you know, some reporting on the work that I do with that. And um, it's really interesting that, you know, even though sort of the stated goal and, and the the basis of the community is this idea of being spiritually exiled, um, a, a good half to two thirds of the people that participate really regularly in that community are still part of local churches. Mm. You know, they, they haven't abandoned the institution altogether, but they've certainly got a, a level of distrust. And, and a lot of those folks, um, and I'm not going to out anybody particularly, but a lot of those folks are clergy people, you know, yeah. that, uh, and, th- and that kind of gets back to, um, another question I wanted to ask you that you, you sparked a thought earlier, um, about, you, you said something about, um, as you've gone through this phase, like you don't want anything to do with organized religion anymore, but you still love to talk about faith and things like that. I think one of the things I see a lot when I talk to people who are in this same boat, who, who have lost their their trust in the church for whatever any number of really legitimate reasons, ranging from, you know, real spiritual trauma to just outright boredom, you know, um, but have, that have just kind of lost connection. 
there seems to be still like a really compelling need or, or desire, not need, a need so much, but a desire um, to talk about and to know more about Jesus specifically, separate from like what we've institutionalized, but what, you know, who is this person, Jesus? Why, why is Jesus still so compelling that we still want to have conversations based around that? Um, is, is that something that, that you feel like you're experiencing yourself or as you hear people tell their stories, like on your podcast, does that kind of track? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I end my podcast with, uh, some questions like heart, you know, lightning round questions. First thing that comes to your mind what's you know, go, boom, 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 boom. Um, the last one is what wakes you up in the morning? What, you know, what, what are you working on? What wakes you up in the morning? What's your purpose? Um, the one before that is what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think about Jesus? Um, and I just love that question because I think it kind of unveils a little bit and it's a bummer. It's at the end of the podcast, but normally we've already talked about it. Um, and it's interesting. Most people that I'm, I'm talking to love is a big one. Um, you know, someone who fought for the outcast was, is a big one that, you know, kind of themes that come up. I personally, I was in a stage where I, I was, and I was trying to look at like the historical Jesus, um, read guys like uh, Marcus Borg and uh, John Dominic Cross and, and then Richard Rohr, like people that will really jack up your, <laughs> but, yeah. um, and I don't know if it's because like, I can't pick up a Bible. I haven't read the Bible in years because it's, I'm still in that phase where or at a point in life where if I read John three sixteen, I know immediately where my mind's going to go Yeah, it's, yeah. into that, how I used to interpret that scripture or how I was taught it was. Um, and I think that's how it is with Jesus right now. Cause I, I've heard, like, I have a, a really good friend who is fed up with the church. He's in church. Um, and he texted me one night and I think it was, a uh, he had to be very, very high. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, uh, um, you know, Jesus is the, I don't even believe in this crap, but it's the, it's the best model. And I was like, wow, like he, he doesn't believe in it, but believes it's the best model, the best story that uh, we can follow. And so I think I'm in that camp. Like it's hard. For, I had to put on a shelf a little bit because I immediately think I picture a Jesus who's, you know, there with outstretched arms and a robe. That's yeah. 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 And, and uh, unfortunately he is white. I'm trying to move my Jesus to, you know, not white. Um, but it's just, it's like, a, it's click clacking in my brain, right? Uh, yeah. White blue eyed bearded Jesus. Um, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't picture him. Like I think he really was in regards to what he really did. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There for a while, I was really into that. And now I've kind of taken a step back um, after the recent experience in the church and just kind of like, it's going to let things kind of settle a bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that will, I will eventually go back into it because that's what, um, that's immediately where I went in the deconstruction. And I'll probably go, and I know I'll go back to it because it's, it's what's natural for me. I mean, in regards to like the Jesus narrative is what I grew up on. Um, but I think th there's a good book I read and I would recommend it to anyone who's going through deconstruction. It's Bitten by a Camel by Kent Dobson. And uh, Kent was the worship leader for Rob Bell. 
His dad was Jerry Falwell's right-hand man. Um, well, De- obviously, Kent and Rob were deconstructing. Uh, and Kent had the belief, if I go to uh, Jerusalem and I study there, I get close to the source, I'll get all of my questions answered. And he went there, moved with his family, did a master's program, uh, you know, walked with rabbis and learned from them. And he found out the closer he got, the more effed up it was and the more questions he yeah, yeah. and there were no answers. Um, and his book talks about like that journey and, and tenant, like kind of t- like how I was talking about like tenants of the faith and how they crumbled for him. Um, he's, he would still come back to the Jesus story. Yeah. And so, yeah, to answer your question, like a lot of people that I talk to are, are there. Um, and that's what keeps them there is, is Jesus, not anything else. Um, and that was it for me, but now in this kind of phase of life, I've, we also had a son, so he's seven or he's eight months old. That's kind of taken up a lot of yeah, my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it tends to occupy your, but you know, you know what, like, and I, again, I think it's how I was raised and it might be who I am as a person. Um, I had to make a decision and normally, you know, in the evangelical system, I would pray and ask God to tell me, um, <laughs> it sounds so stupid. Uh, and or and or God would be a very focal figure when I was thinking about the decision, like what would God want me to do? Right. Um, and I told my wife, I was like, you know what? I, I'm putting God on a shelf right now. I don't really care about well, what he thinks or what it thinks or what he wants to say. I'm going to follow my gut. And that's been for us a big a big part of our reconstruction is learning to follow our guts again, um, learning to trust our instincts and, uh, tr- and, and to experience our emotions and to sit in them. And, uh, and then I, I followed my gut and it worked out, but it was, uh, it freaked her out at first. Cause it was like first stage of the deconstruction. And she's like, what? You're not going to, you know, you're not even going to pray. You're not going to go seek, you know, wise counsel from other people. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just going to roll. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think people from, from mystical traditions would say following your gut is probably the closest you can get to actually following. God. Uh, is it the prayer of, uh, of Ignatius? I, I went, uh, my 30th birthday, I went and did a, a weekend of spiritual, uh, a, re- a spiritual retreat, solitude and silence. And I started reading Father Ignatius and his, his belief was that God's will is not out in the cosmos. It's actually inside of you. And the yeah. more um, who you are and you listen and you dive deep, you'll find it. Um, and I love that because I think it's, I, I don't know, like, I think that's it. Like, I don't think it's what, you know, I spent my whole life trying to find God's will. And now I just kind of, I don't think it's that, you know, I think it's like, okay, I'm going to follow my passions and my dreams and try to do good. Like, I think that's well, enough. And I think what happens a lot of time is when we, when we think we're consciously trying to seek God's will, follow God's will, what we're really looking for is what, what would the people who, taught me that narrative about God want me to do, not necessarily what would God want me to do. Yeah, right? I think you're right. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah. Um, let, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about music. Because um, I don't, I, I mean, that's a big part of who you are. And we haven't even, other than the fact that you sit on the toilet and write songs, right? we haven't really, <laughs> we haven't really talked a lot about it. Who follows me on that. Yeah. But, um, but I, I do kind of want to, to tie some of what we've been talking about together yeah. there, because 
you know, one of, one of the consistent themes that you and I have talked about, like when I was on your podcast and when you and I just talked privately is, and, and you've mentioned it here a little bit ago, like, um, you know, hearing other people's stories, right. And how that helps you process. I think even like when you and I were texting, getting ready for this, I think you used the word cathartic, right. Yeah. That it, there's a catharsis in that. How, how does that influence your art? If at all, like as a, as a musician and a songwriter, um, you know, hear, hearing other people's stories, processing your own, you know, stuff yeah. through their stories. How does that influence your process like as an artist? Um, so I, I write, I, I'm a little different in regards to like, it's hard for me to write a song that's not true. Um, you know, like if I wrote a relationship song, I, I'm, I'm kind of diving into it now, but if I wrote a relationship song, like, I don't want the listener to be like, oh, my God, Anna and Brandon are getting a divorce and they hate each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like, you have some artists that will write this stuff and, you know, before he cheats by Taylor Swift. And like, <laughs> like well, she didn't write it. She just sang it. But um, I'm always really, like, scared of doing that because I don't want anyone to be like, actually, I wrote a song. My first one that I released of the new new stuff, Walk Away, it's about a relationship. I, I disguise it as a relationship. But it's actually about deconstruction and leaving the church. Um but I actually went to Anna before I released it. I'm like, Hey, this is not about you <laughs> walking away. Okay. Um, it's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's totally cool with it. But I, so like, I have to write real. Um, I, it's hard for me to write happy as well. Like I'm really, I like the melancholy stuff and um, I'm diving into some more pop stuff. So I'm trying to like not be so melancholy, but um some of the best records to me are a guy playing acoustic, a lady or a guy playing acoustic guitar and just, just singing like, Oh the, yeah. Phenomenal. So uh, anyways, to answer your question, um, part of it is when I, when I ask people what makes them come alive in the morning, makes them get out of bed. It almost is like a question that reignites my purpose uh, in regards to, because it could be another, another rabbit hole, but it's, it's no, like faith took up so part, so much of my life that music was in and out. And when I got to the church too, or I call it second church where a lot of the spiritual abuse happened, it was really tried. They really tried to kill it. In me. Um, as far as songwriting, as far as exploring emotions, um, as far as like playing a bar or uh, playing music that didn't bring someone to Christ. Like, you know, that's, you can't do that. So I really, I really kind of became non-musical, even though I was playing music, I wasn't exploring or I was, or I was secretly writing songs and I, but now I would never put them out. Right. Um, so when I ask people that question and they always answer, you know, with like the, the passion that is them, um, it kind of reignites me to say, okay, I, I, I am where I need to be. Um, also like on the other side of that too, like I, I, some of the deconstruction stories I've heard, this is weird, but it, because it gives me language, but it also validates that I'm not crazy. Then if I write a song that is deconstruction based, I do this weird thing in my head. I'll write a song halfway through and then I'll think I can never gig this. Like I can't see myself playing this live. And then so I never finish the song. And then it sits in my voice memos or sits in my folder and then like a year passes and I'm looking through old songs and I hear it. I'm like, holy crap, that's a great song. I need to go, <laughs> you know, and 
it's just this weird mental block I have to get through as an, as a creative and an artist. Um, I need to finish the song and not worry about the gig and gig can happen later um, is what I've learned. But I say that to say when I'm hearing deconstruction stories and I write a deconstruction song, I don't have to go through, I'm never going to gig it. Like if I write it and only a handful of people find um, they like it or it helps them in their journey. Like I'm cool with that because I, the end is already there. If that makes sense. Right. 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 Um, so like it allows, it allows me to go through that mental block and, and be like, I'm just going to write this and I'm going to put it out or, or, or finish it and just let it sit. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been, yeah, it's been all, kind of all over the map a little bit. There's, there's something kind of, I'm not sure pure is the right word, but it's the only one that comes to mind um, about creating art for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Right. And which that's kind of sounds like what you're talking about. Um, I, I too have like, I, I'm not a songwriter, but as a writer, um, like I've got a folder full, full of started and unfinished, you know, blog posts, essays, whatever. Yeah. That I, I kind of had the same experience. Like I, I get about halfway into it and I'm like, it's, it's not, it's not going anywhere right now. And then I'll come back a year later and say, Oh, because I was trying to think of this end for it and it wasn't the end for it. Or I've had the experience too, where like I'd start to write like an essay piece and struggle and struggle and struggle to say what I wanted to say. And then come back a month or two later and say, Oh, it's because this wants to be a poem and not, you know, a a piece of prose or whatever. Right. And, and you just, sometimes you just have to give it the space um, to do that kind of stuff. There there are some songs like for instance, walk away, which, is I just so I took I took down everything I had previously. I had a Christmas album. I had a acoustic uh, folky EP that was still, was very Christian narrative. Um, I took it all down, and I, I was like, I want to start fresh. And so, "Walk Away" is the only song out of mine as a solo artist. Um, but that was a great example. Like I believe there are some songs that I write or some art that I do that need a marinade, a marinade, right? That need to, it's okay, it's a it's a rough draft or um, a verse chorus. It just needs to sit and be there. There, But on, on the, the creative block side is where I became lazy and rather than finish, just to finish it, to finish it, you know what I mean? Like I, I would never, never tackle it. But walk away is a great example. Like I, was going through my voice memos. I kind of we rewoken up back to music and realized like um, we were actually at a, a bonfire with friends. And that sounds so foreign to be at a bonfire outside. Oh, wow. Yeah. Masks on. Um, and a guy was playing music and people were all saying like, oh, yeah, we love this song of yours. We love this song of yours. And I, it, it like hit me. I was like, wow, nobody knows I'm a songwriter. Like they know I'm a songwriter. But I have nothing out there in the in the in the ethos. You know what I mean? Like yeah, 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 yeah. If I die tomorrow, it would be on Anna to go and find my scatterbrained files and put stuff out to be like, hey, Brandon was an artist and here's his legacy. Here's the stuff he was working on. And so like that was a that was one moment where it was like uh, like a, a dot in my trajectory. It was like, okay, I'm just gonna before it was, I wanted to be this artist and, and be full time and travel and all this stuff. I started playing with the band, just playing guitar for them. And I love it. And the travel's fun. It's fun to do weekend shows. But I also learned like, I don't know if I'd want that life full time because I love my family. Um, and so then it became with the power of 
um, technology and the power of uh, being able to do stuff from home and not have to pay thousands of dollars for us to go to a studio. Then obviously COVID uh, was a, a big force in it. Like I'm, I am fully content right now to be a bedroom artist, uh, <laughs> which, which means like or bathroom artist is the case. <laughs> maybe, right? <laughs> I need to write an album that's called like bathroom. Um, so like being a bedroom artist in regards to, I am, I'm so content right now to put out content with no end in mind. Um, you know, not like I'm going to put this album out and then I'm going to go gig it and tour it. And, you know, hopefully record sex will hear it and then it will change my life. Like that's totally obviously with uh, the way the market is, that's not it anymore anyways. But it's like, I, I sat down, um, this week and I already have three albums laid out and it's not that I have to write anything for them. It's just content that I already have, um, that is good content. I was just never ballsy enough to put it out. Yeah. Um, and so for instance, walk away, I was at, I was rewoke up to music, blah, 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 going through my, my voice memos app. I had like 200 songs in there and, um, I spent like a month going through all of them and taking, like putting a spreadsheet and say, okay, what needs to be worked on? What is just let it sit? What is like, just don't touch. And I came across walk away and I was at a party at Jeremy's house. I grabbed his guitar, him and I were playing guitar. He put his guitar down and walked outside or people were outside on the patio. And I just had this little riff I was playing and I just sang this lyric and this melody over it. And that was it. Like you hear people in the background on the voice memo. And it was, I think it was two years later. It was like, why didn't I finish that song? You know? Um, And so that, so anyways, for me, like we had, we had some life, the deconstruction helped. And then we had some, some life scenarios that really woke me up to say, man, like if I knew I was going to die in a year, what would I do for with that year? Or, you know, if I knew I was going to die in five months, like what would I do? And the two things I settle on is family and music, um, get content out, um, and spend a lot of time with my kids and my wife. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we're going to play one of your songs here, uh, for the folks. And, um, is it not my home anymore? That's, is that the right name of the song? So this, this one I sent, I sent to a few people. Um, this is one about deconstruction and it's weird because it's not a part of the, I have an EP I'm working on called broken hearts EP. Um, and it's not a part of that. It's actually going to be the third album I have in my mind called Jekyll Hyde, where I'm going to, I'm going to fuse folk and synth <laughs> you know like like so this ep broken hearts is very pop and synth 80s that's so david crowder yeah <laughs> i i'm so far removed from is he doing that i mean like that's that's five years ago david crowder i don't know what he's doing now i've lost track and then I'm, i have an album that is i'm gonna call it the lost years and it's like all of the senior songwriter going to a coffee house stuff that i had and then I want to then I want to do one called Jekyll Hyde, where, where I fuse it, you know, like nice. on the dance song. This song is a depressing drink alcohol song and it's acoustic guitar. This song is all synth, you know. But anyway, so not my home anymore, I think, is going to be on that, even though I'm going to, you know, I, I text you. And I'm like, hey, man, I just had this crazy thought. Uh, and I think this is one of the songs that if you're going through deconstruction helps, you know, like. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the setup for it. Yeah. 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 So we're going to play that song right now and then we'll talk a little bit about it on, um, on the other side. I gave my all 
to your beck and call. I played the part and betrayed my heart, and I feel so lost that I finally feel free. So you've got a lyric in there that says, and and the first time you you sent it to me and asked me to listen to it, and then like I listened to it and I'm like, in my mind I'm like, oh, this is a song about deconstruction. And then like a couple of weeks later, you texted me and said, by the way, yeah. that song's about deconstruction. I'm like, you didn't have to tell. Like I got it. Yeah, I get the metaphor. More face <laughs> about it. But you you've got a lyric in there that says, um, I felt so lost, but I finally feel free. And I just like the first time I heard it, it resonated with me. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that's going to resonate with a lot of people, I think, that have been through this deconstruction or are in the middle of this deconstruction thing. Um, because I think there's so much of just what you capture in that one line yeah. that's kind of at the heart of that that process, that that life event. Yeah. 
Um, that feeling in your gut that is like, I know things aren't quite right where I am. I don't know what to do about it. And then once you finally get away from it and you let loose of that toxic attachment or whatever it is, there's this sense that like, it all makes sense now, yeah. you know? So. I, um, so the verses I originally sent you, I, I changed, um, cause I was writing it in, uh, in a weird, a weird spot in life. But when I lean on that, what I would call like a tag or a pre, a pre-course into the, into the, not my home anymore part. Um, I've been doing a few things in songwriting um, that I guess if you don't know, it sounds very artistic, but then when you know, it's like very black and white and like a middle finger to the church I came from or <laughs> the establishment or whatever. But like, so that line, there are, there are three things that influence that line. Um, Rob Bell's documentary, which to say the name Rob Bell Brandon at age 16 would be very upset. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Uh, but I've grown to really love his stuff and, and what he's doing. Um, his documentary that came out a few years back had Pete Holmes in it. And Pete Holmes shared a line. And this is probably more where the chorus sits. But the lead up to it, he shared a line about deconstruction, about evangelicalism. He was like, evangelicalism is like the Ottoman in your living room. That just kind of was there. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't want that Ottoman. It just came with the house. And then you're realizing like, oh, I want to get a new Ottoman. Like, and you want to throw this Ottoman out. <laughs> and <laughs> that's where the chorus kind of sits with all the furniture is changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that's, that's really where that, that idea came from. The second one was playing with the, I play with the band called last year's model. Uh, and it's, it's rock. It's eighties uh, new wave, uh, alt rock. I mean, it's completely different from what I do. Uh, but again, the lead vocalist, he and I grew up in youth group together and, and, um, he's got a great story too, but, um, it's just fun to be just the guitarist. Uh, now I'm the producer, like we're producing the stuff, the new stuff we're putting out from my studio. Um, but I just get to be the guitarist and it's, it's a blast. I don't have to go and sing, even though I'll, I'll do BG uh, background vocals or I'll do a couple songs. Like if you have a three hour, uh, bar set, but I started playing with them and we were doing a Myrtle beach run and they were telling me like, Hey man, this Myrtle beach run is going to be crazy. Like people dancing, it's going to be a blast. Like just get ready for the energy. And sure enough, we did this Myrtle beach run a weekend of shows and every show was just fun. You know, like it, you know, people there, people dancing, people drinking, having a good time. Um, and for me coming from where I came from, like that was a no, no, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you don't yeah. go play in a bar. Right. But seeing people, and this is people will balk at this, but seeing people free and happy and dancing. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they're masking pain with alcohol, whatever, regardless, like people were having fun that it did something in my psyche and in my heart that I was like, Oh man, I need more of this. And the, the, like one of the very things that I, rejected was one of the very things I needed to help me out on life. And then the third one was an F you to the scripture of the truth will set you free. <laughs> That's all it is <laughs> because that was control. That was used to control us. You know, right. Oh, you don't, because it was our truth, right? It was yeah, exactly. not the truth. It was our truth. Right. So, Oh, you want to move? You know, you don't have the right truth, but when you get the truth, it will set you free and you won't want to move. Oh, you, um, 
you know, oh, you believe this about homosexual rights? Oh, no, you're you're wrong. You know, go go back to the truth. The truth will set you free. And it was in those bar gigs that I realized I am completely lost, but I've never been more free. And it was the most powerful moment. And I think to me, that sums up deconstruction. Like it's scary and it sucks and it's painful, but it's the best thing to go through. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where that line came from. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, you know, you've, you've already talked a little bit about some of the other stuff that you're working on and um, we've been at this for, well, we've been recording for an hour and a half or so. I don't know how long that'll end up being in in actual podcast minutes, but um, we probably need to move towards a a little bit of a conclusion. So, um, you know, you've, like I say, you've talked a little bit about what you're working on. How can people find you, find your stuff, connect with you? Yeah. Um, so uh, this is where uh, the branding, um, a little little scattered a little bit. So uh, if you're, you want to check out the podcast, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And, uh, hey, Mom, everything's all right. Also, we're on all the majority of the uh, pod, podcast platforms. Um, and then if you want to follow the music, it, it, it's kind of two, two ways. Um, Instagram is Brandon Wood underscore music. And uh, Facebook is Brandon Wood music. Uh, you have a MySpace? <laughs> yeah, I do. No. Um, also, uh, I one of the things of, of COVID and one of the things of reconstruction in my life is I started a studio. And um, it's a kind of a nod to the, uh, the high school garage band of 5% grade that I was in. So it's called 5PG Recordings or Recording. And that's also on Facebook and Instagram. And um, I have, it's pretty crazy. I have like, four, five artists I'm working with. Um, we're putting out some really cool stuff. And so, yeah, that's, that's right now what I'm doing. Um, the, the podcast is, is kind of taking a back seat where, um, my goal now is to maybe put out a, a, a an episode one a month. Um, cause I have some lined up that are going to be really, really fun and really, really people I need to hear people, these people's stories. Um, but right now the music is, uh, what has given me life. And I've also learned as a creative that I'll probably go in a season where the podcast is number one in my life and music is, you know, I'm putting a song out once in three months, you know? So like, yeah, yeah. Ebbs and flows. Cause I'm really bad at like ending a chapter and be like, okay, I'm done with that. I will never do that again. Sell all the equipment. And then like six months later, like, oh, now I got to go buy another microphone. <laughs> <And I> go, <laughs> So I got one time I sold all my guitars. I'm done with music. I sold all my guitars, all my amps. And then my mother-in-law was like, I think you're doing something wrong, but I, I'll, I'll, if you want to do this, I'll follow you kind of thing, you know? And I'm sure enough, six months later, I was like, Oh, I need to go buy a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun. Like you learn, you learn to identify your own kind of cycles or waves or whatever it is that you go through um, in life. And then, you look back on those things like, man, I, I wish I'd have known how I'm going to be like the kind of person that I actually am. Yeah. I, um, my wife deserves many, many accolades because uh, she follow me, follows me down all these uh, rabbit holes and life changes and the trooper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, it's been, it's been so much fun to, to talk with you and have you on the podcast here, Brandon. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for, uh, for this to get out into the world and and folks to learn a little bit more about you and and the the cool things that you're doing, um, so thanks thanks again for being uh, my guest here for this episode. And uh, I'm sure we'll have 
Uh, I'm looking forward to bourbon and cigars, and, and I know we'll have lots more opportunities to talk again. So. Thanks, Joe. So I want to thank Brandon again uh, for the time that he spent um, with us on the podcast. And uh, so we're doing something a little bit different as we close this episode out. Normally, um, we we record I record these episodes about a month or so in advance, and then sometimes uh, things change between the time we record a podcast and the time it goes out. And uh, so uh, I wanted to bring Brandon back um, to make uh, a little announcement um, uh, about uh, some things that are coming up. So first of all, Brandon, just uh, real quick, uh, the song we just heard, Not My Home Anymore, um, tell folks where they can find that uh, if they want to go listen to that again. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome. Or I'm glad to be back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the song I recorded, it will eventually be out on my EP, which will be on Spotify and Apple Music. But for right now, the song is just going to live on SoundCloud. Um, and you, you can always go to soundcloud.com. Um, backslash uh, Brandonwood Music, but also if you go to my website, brandonwoodmusic.com, uh, there's links on there. Uh, also Facebook, Brandonwood Music, and Instagram, Brandonwood underscore music. Um, they all have the link to uh, where you can hear me. Very good. Very good. So so that was one of the things that sort of um, changed since we recorded. But the other thing is that uh, uh, there, there's a little announcement we want to make. I kind of teased it in the intro intro to this episode, but, um, uh, Brandon and I, uh, have decided we had so much fun doing this episode of the podcast together that we want to do it, um, a little more often. So beginning in May, 2021, uh, Brandon is going to become the official co-host of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. So Brandon, welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes family. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to do golf claps. I'm nice. I'm nice. Um, you know, this is something we've, uh, you and I got to know each other over, I don't want to say the years. How long has it been? Uh, maybe three years yeah. or so, three or four yeah. years. Yeah. I can, I can pluralize years. Um, yeah, we got to know each other. And uh, I mean, I think you would agree. And hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth that there's just, you know, there's something kindred there. Like, yeah, yeah. We can talk very easily and um, not, it's not awkward and all that stuff or like pretentious, you know, like we can just be. Who we are and and so i've always been i've always gravitated to you especially getting to know you more and like i i've said multiple times um to you i don't know if i've ever, ever recorded like i've wanted to shut down my podcast for a while now um but i just think this conversation is too good not to to, to get rid of it and so i was always torn right like i don't have the energy or the time to like come up with everything and do it all and you know, I like to get two episodes a month and I mean, that's a lot of work, but I'd always keep it going. I would keep it going. And then I found out about your community and your stuff. And I even said on your podcast or the podcast when you were on, on for me, your interview, I was like, man, I was going to shut it down. And if you're like, Hey guys, go to Joe. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but then I got re re sparked again with face stories. And, um, but now I think this is right because, I think uh, many hands make light work and, and not just that, but I think you and I together can really keep the dialogue happening, keep the interviews happening, keep the conversation going, but at the same time uh, have a better reach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun together. I think we're going to have some really interesting conversations um, and, and just the, the ability for both of us to kind of, uh, leverage our networks to bring in uh, more more people for our listeners 
to hear from, I think is going to be um, a really great, great thing. Uh, so if you're a fan of Brandon's uh, podcast, Hey Mom, Everything's All Right, don't worry. Like it's still out there. Um, there's still, you still got a few more episodes that are going to come out before um, yeah. we make this switch. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, when this episode comes out um, on uh, on February the 19th, um, 2021, there's still a few episodes of Hey Mom to, to come out yet. And uh, yeah. and Bourbon and Cigars is going to continue on uh, in some yeah. form. And, and we're looking forward to some conversations there with that too. So if you want any more information about what's going on um, with with this new partnership that Brandon and I are forming and some of the exciting things happening in the Accidental Tomatoes community, you can find everything online at accidentaltomatoes.com, a newly redesigned website. Um, we've got some other um, new and exciting things about to happen there, um, bringing some new bloggers on board. Uh, so there's going to be even more content there for, for you to enjoy and connect with um, as a community. So thanks again for listening uh, to this episode and, and this extended outro as we've uh, kind of got our heads together to make this announcement. Um, and until next time, then just keep on growing outside the fences and join us for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. <laughs>